I moved into like this ultra Greek part of Queens. It's a is lot that just of all Queens. I live in a Greek Astoria, area too. The part of Astoria that I live in is very Greek. There's a lot of Greek restaurants, which I love because I love Greek food and it's great. Perfect. But so last night, I am walking home, and it had been kind of a weird day. I had to take the bus, which is awful. All the, the bus time. is always the worst. It's never a good experience. A I've good bus a great is the worst means of transportation. It's. It's terrible, and I hate it. So I'm walking home, and I passed a woman on the street, this older Greek lady, and I, we're kind of approaching, and she has, like, a funny look on her face, and then she <laughs> mumbles something at me and spat at me. Oh, my God. Excuse me. And at first, I thought it may have been an accident, because I just couldn't comprehend why this older Greek woman would like, spit at me. what on earth did you do? And so I look back at her, and she's glaring at me. I, I have no idea. You didn't woman. figure out what the... No, but I was... Offense was? I mean, it was probably something I was wearing, or I didn't bump into her. I've never seen her before in my life. You? I think it was... Slut spitting you? It was 90 degrees outside I mean, yesterday, right so I was wearing, like, no clothes. I was wearing a bralette with another, basically another bralette over it, and then but I was wearing shorts. What else are you supposed to wear to I'm survive? I supposed to cover myself head to toe, apparently. Monster. It could have been anything. I have honestly no idea monster. why she spat at me, but I'm not, I'm not superstitious, I'm, but you're a little stitious. I'm a little as Michael Scott would say I'm not superstitious but I am a little stitious I got home I told my roommate my roommate Sarah and she the second I said that she like went into her room and got a bowl and a little piece of wood and she lit it on fire and I don't even know what she did Cleanse she got me. rid of the curse yeah she's like we're not taking any chances and she walked around me was like waving the smoke at me well you covered that one I can't I am not in a place in my life where I can be cursed by an old Greek lady right now I don't did, need it I want to know if this spit landed no, it didn't hit me. So I think that oh, probably means that, that would have been the iffier outcome for me. Yeah, I don't like being cursed. Call me crazy. So call don't me crazy, it. but I'm especially not when it's accompanied by bodily fluids. Being cursed, I need, and I'm so I'm very thankful that my roommate Sarah Luckily, is like you had a means to be cleansed, at, good yeah. at this, and and cleansed me. Anyway, so that's my story of the week. So Brooke is clean as can be. I'm fine. Thank goodness. Well, presuming that we all survive to see another day. This is still exceedingly persuasive. Mm. And I am Mackenzie Brennan. And I am Brooke Rogers. Thank you for joining us. Hanging out. Hanging hangin out. snout. In our, uh, maybe we don't want to even be around me right now. Why? I'm, oh, because you're cursed? cursed energy. Well, but then know. I'm the least cursed in the room. I like that. I like that balance. <laughs> that can't be true, though, looking at my track record. <laughs> so we have some updates this week. We're going to go through on gerrymandering and census nonsense. We have some corrections for the Arandia yeah, yeah. discussion. And then the bulk of our time is going to be spent on the illustrious Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sure everyone wants to talk about it. I've never heard of him. Neither has Donald Trump. I actually have a big question about this that will not be elucidated later. Is it Epstein or Epstein? Because I, the other day, I was talking to my husband and I called him Brian Epstein, which is the Beatles manager. And he's like, I'm pretty sure he didn't rape people, at least not openly. If he did, Who we don't are you know talking about, about? Yeah. And then I also remember my dad saying, because my dad spoke German, that Stein with an I sound is German with... An E sound is Yiddish. He's Jewish, so it's probably... So it's heard. probably Epstein. Epstein. That's what I have heard. I mean, unless everyone's yeah, but every, it See, I just learned that what I thought was Rihanna was Rihanna from her own lips. So I don't it's know. It's Rihanna? Yeah. I've been saying Rihanna, and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop either, but I'm just saying, apparently, the brunt of pronunciations is not always right. Great. Okay, so... If we are going to go the way of updates and corrections, this is throwing it back a little bit, but in terms of the Iran deal, speaking of Ran, Ron, Iran. I say Iran deal. naturally, but I, know, I try to say Iran I do I too. sound like an idiot. I know that in our episode that talked about Iran a little, we had characterized the nuclear deal as not having a lot of monitoring. Maybe true in a sense, but 
it sounds like there was a decent amount of monitoring and control that was put into place by the Iran deal, which, if anything, makes what we were saying stronger. This is from, who is it, Ben Rhodes, who was on Obama the, advisor. Yeah, in the Obama administration and instrumental in the Iran deal. Two-thirds of the centrifuges have been dismantled. 98% of Iran's enriched uranium stockpile was shipped out of the country. Iran's enrichment was limited to a single facility, which was under 24-7 monitoring. The core of the reactor was removed and filled with concrete. During our episode, we had been saying that there wasn't a lot of monitoring and not a lot came of the deal. Yeah. And so we just wanted to go back and correct that. There were some there substantive were things yeah. that were done. The takeaway then, which was a couple months after the signing, was that Iran's timeline to have enough material for one nuclear weapon has been extended from two to three months okay. before the deal signing to about a year. And that was very early after it was signed. Mm-hmm. So one can only assume that it would take longer. And I know that now they have been acquiring comparable things on mm-hmm. a much easier level because yeah. they don't have these things in place, at least as monitored by us anymore. And I think we were one of the most important signatories. So there's that. Yeah, the U.S. leaving the deal did not help the situation. Um, I think at the time of the episode, I said that I didn't think we should leave once it was already made. Yeah. And that's what I stand by. And leaving the deal obviously has had bad effects, so... That argument's even more compelling seeing what it really was doing. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to cover that real quick. Yeah, hopefully things are stable. They're stable-ish for the week's span. That is pretty much an explanation of our entire life at this point. It's the best case scenario in the The Trump administration. The world is stable-ish. Neat. Neato. The other big thing that happened, there have been a lot of big things happening, but one of them was that Trump gave up his quest to put a citizenship question on the census. He said that he wants the Commerce Department, which controls the Census Bureau, to find a different way to ask this question. And I don't know if this will have the same teeth. Probably Basically, not. Well, they didn't give up on the census question right away. So after the Supreme Court decision that we talked about last week, they still, the Department of Justice lawyers filed actions in a bunch of different district courts, so lower federal courts, that still were trying to find different justifications for adding the question to the census. Because the Supreme Court came back to them, and one of the reasons that they reached the decision that they weren't allowed to put the citizenship question on the census is that they basically said, your reasoning is so bad and weird. It's so obviously obviously biased or racist. Political that we can't let you do this if you come back with a better reasoning for it. Yeah, the direction wasn't that clear, but there was an asterisk of we are saying no to this because of the perceived reasoning. So the Trump administration took that like an invitation to devise a different means. The only hiccup there is that the reason that they got expedited hearing before the Supreme Court and before the circuit court below that was that they said, we need to decide this by the end of June. We need to get this figured out so that we can start printing this. And they had already started printing the census. Trump originally said that if the Supreme Court said they couldn't put the citizenship question on the census, he would stop trying. And then after they made that decision, he went back and said, actually, actually, we're going to keep trying. We're considering executive order. And the funny thing was, Attorney General Bill Barr, before the decision was reached, said he didn't see any reason why the administration would continue to try to put the question on the census after if they were denied. And Um, yet, lo and behold, (laughs) they did, which made it a very, very tricky situation for the lawyers because these are the same people, literally the same people, who had just argued to a number of courts, including the ones where they were appealing now, that this question would have to be resolved by X date, and this Mm -hmm. is the way that we wanted to do it, and we would abide by that ruling. So actually, a fair amount of the DOJ lawyers tried to get out without giving a reason, and lawyers, typically under a lot of professional conduct rules, judges are pretty lenient. If a lawyer wants to get out of their own volition of representing Mm -hmm. somebody, they usually can, as long as they give a good reason, but they have to give any reason. And these lawyers, because the reason was so obviously partisan, and it would have boiled down to... We said something totally different last week, and anything we argue going from here is going to be patently absurd, especially coming from us, so can we just, like, switch out the faces? So the judge denied that, and then within, like, 24 hours, the Trump administration's like, fine, fine, 
we'll give up, we'll do this other survey route. So the history of this is that up until, I think, 1950, the citizenship question was on the census. After 1950, there was a short form and a long form of the census. The short form did not include a citizenship question. The long form did, but the long form was only sent to a, a, a random selection of people, and, and I think it was like one in six yeah, would get it, the long form. Because the composition of our country was changing and, and there were so many loaded implications as time went on to having that sort of question. Right. So a lot of are. people people on more right-wing news sites like Fox News have been saying that Obama took the citizenship question off. That is not true. Yes, Obama back in 1950, remember? <laughs> well, they just stopped using the long form altogether. So under Obama, okay. it was replaced by the American Community Survey, which did ask whether or not the person living there was a citizen. But that was only sent to, again, a handful of people. And it was, I think, annual, which is the census every 10 years. So totally different mechanism. Totally different. And also, I don't think that the survey can be used in any way to decide budget or decide representative seats. Well, yeah, if you think about the census is designated in the Constitution, anything short of that is not going to have the same significance. Yeah, and also, I don't think that, that the survey has the same teeth. I don't know if you have to respond. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think you no. have to respond. So I would question the accuracy of any survey with this question on it, and that's one of the reasons why they decided to keep it off the census, because if it had been included, it would have messed up the accuracy of okay. response. That was one of the arguments against it, was that if the citizenship question is put on, fewer people will be likely to respond and then they'll have to change the way that they account for the undercount or uh, not account for it yeah it would completely change how they did it what i think people don't understand is that this would affect taxpayers and citizens in districts with higher proportions of undocumented people it's not just a blue state problem it's arizona texas nevada florida the people in those districts with counts of undocumented people also people who have been immigrants in the past people who are legal now or have any relation to that subset they're going to be a lot more hesitant Right. And if you live in that district and you are a taxpayer and fewer people respond to the census, the number is going to go down for your district. And then you're going to have fewer representatives in the House and less money is going to go to your district in the federal budget. So that's a huge deal when you think of the import, if you boil it way down, and, and obviously there are a lot of impacts in between. But if you boil it down, this is how we determine how many representatives and electoral votes each state gets because Mm -hmm. we decide how many districts within that state exist and how many people exist. This could be the kind of thing that, honestly, in places like New York and California, which are such targets of people who are trying to slice away at those voting rights and the representation anyways, those could really feel the impact of something like this. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not a lot of state problem, but it would definitely swing the vote probably more toward Republicans. And for decades to come. And this actually, there was a man called Thomas Hoffler, and he was a leading strategist who was instrumental in, in gerrymandering and redistricting and urged Republicans to lead the quest to gerrymander more. He died recently. His estranged daughter turned over to journalists some files that they found in his house about the reasoning behind gerrymandering, Mm -hmm. and it reveals in more explicit terms everything that we've ever suspected about gerrymandering and about conservatives trying to use it to their advantage, particularly, and racism-adjacent aspects of it and the census-adjacent aspects. He says this is something that we need to exploit and this is how we do it, and this is why it's going to help us, because it's going to suppress this kind of vote and Mm -hmm. this kind of demographic. So it's very interesting that that came out. It's very interesting that it didn't get more press, especially that it came out around the same time as that gerrymandering decision and as the court decided that, like, oh, we're just not going to touch the question yeah, because it's, uh, it's political, even though both sides are implicated in the case that came before the Supreme Court. So very strange. Yeah. Uh, Oh, speaking of districting, I did want to say my friend Jack, who is another Arizona lawyer, Arizona hailing lawyer, reached out to me after our last episode and said, you know, Arizona itself actually has tried this independent redistricting panel idea mm-hmm. that you and I were toying with Brooke last time. And Brooke had said, what do you think of this? Would it work? Which and is basically where they choose an independent panel to draw districts instead yes. of using the party in power. Right. 
our conclusion last time was that sounds like a great idea. Would it actually work in an era when independence is such a difficult thing to come by? Yeah. So Jack told me that Arizona tried this and it actually has worked pretty well since then. And in researching that, it turns out that indeed conservatives challenged the fact of the independent panel yeah. before the Supreme Court. Which it was, was a concern that we had. Yeah, it was decided 5-4, though, um, in a different court composition, so a little easier to come by. But it had been challenged on the basis of, like, oh, we're stripping uh, the legislature, Congress, essentially, like, yeah. national, federal legislature, of their power under Article One, Section 4, because that says that Congress has the power to prescribe the way in which... Uh, elections are held and they delegated that power to the Arizona legislature so the fact that the voters are now giving it to an independent commission that's not okay and lo and behold Scalia and his cronies wrote the dissent Uh, interesting but at least it was 5-4 in favor of it happening and it has since worked I I mean it's really funny to me when people argue against taking power from Congress and giving it directly to the, the people, people in essence yeah <laughs> it's kind of it was funny because this last election in New York on the ballot there was a proposition to include participatory budgeting into our city charter that could be a shit show or very useful or well, we, both <laughs> I voted I voted yes for it because I have um, a good friend of mine Bitsy Bentley um, she has been working with the, the Participatory Budgeting Committee for a couple of years now, and they've actually seen really positive changes in communities. It's basically a part of the city budget is given directly to communities, and they put together panels, and those panels, anyone is allowed to come in and, and bring forward motions. Yeah, it, I mean, that's what I love about democracy, though. It's so it's so messy, and I love, I love how messy it is. And Not it to actually... harken back to Parks and Rec too much, but I just picture those, like, the crackpots that show up, because it's the ones that don't have anything to do on the middle of a weekday and they're and like really I got something care. to say yeah it's like I think we should build a statue of George W. Bush in Park Slope <laughs> like, like that kind of weird shit but or like the the one in Parks and Rec where she's like there was a sign that said don't drink the sprinkler water in your park and I made sun tea with it and I got an infection <laughs> do you know this <laughs> but in practice it actually works really well and communities are able to decide where money is spent and I think that it's a great way to to reduce corruption. It's a great way to yeah. make ensure that communities' needs are being taken care of. It's been amazing just to watch. It, it actually, they've been using it in other countries as well. I just attended a Democracy Beyond Elections event where people from other countries, uh, I think it's Ireland, Scotland, Spain, they all came on the panel to talk about how it's affected the countries that they use it in, but it's everywhere. And this is a, a really big movement. And in New York City, you know, if, if say, a streetlight has gone out and you would like that to be replaced or the sidewalks in on, on, in one neighborhood are really bad or I think one of the motions in this last cycle was they bought fa- water fountains that hmm. couldn't, didn't freeze in the winter for the park. And that's yeah, awesome. And yeah, that, no, and that's they, great. The community came together and just, they all, so they, they bring motions about what to spend the money on and they hold a vote. So it's not like... Right. Anyone who comes forward gets whatever and they want. In an attenuated sense, if this were to become like large scale and more grassroots, like cohesive vertically through yeah. the political process, you could see that affecting the desire to fund education. Yeah. Because you could say, all right, we want everybody to know about civics, public policy, involvement. Oh, absolutely. You know, how to fix yeah. that. It would take a while, I think, for it to get to that level, but that would be the dream. Yeah, and it, it fosters kids as young as to 11 involved. Yeah. can vote for what the what they oh, would like incredible. to see. And so I think it's a, oh, well, like it's a great way to get young people involved. And the the point that I was kind of bringing back to what you said earlier about, you know, pe- the people were arguing that it took power from Congress. Cry One about of it. the yeah, cry about it. <laughs> cry about it. One no, of the arguments against putting participatory budgeting in the city I think it's, it's either the charter or the constitution I'm not sure which but one of the arguments against it was that it would take power from local government right if they decide the budget the elected and people and it's like but if you're taking power from government and giving it directly to the people right that's the best representation I think it is I think that the risk and it's kind of confronted by what I was saying about like I hope I hope and I think that this would come down to yeah. funding education is it's almost the same risk that the founders were contemplating when they put things like the Electoral College in place and Federalist balances like House versus Senate mm-hmm. representation for population, that the risk of that and the risk of anything too direct is that 
we don't have an infrastructure that makes every person who exists in a society qualified to have relevant and like cogent input yeah on how money is spent or how policy decisions are made i think that so that's the risk yeah. is that like okay if you get 90 crackpots in a city um all of a sudden we have churches with their own police forces like they do in alabama yeah. now I, I think that's true to an extent but in this is where i get a little bit small government minded is that ultimately yes that is a risk but if 90 crackpots in a, a city want the city to be run a certain way and it's their city and they're like, on it. like yeah yeah it's in so, to some extent that's fine if i mean obviously but you we don't gotta want... consider they're under the same constitution and that yeah that's, that's the difficulty with federalism that you can't have full independence you can't decide that this little subset has full independence and there is even with even with this participatory budgeting there is oversight there are people there's a panel there are people who are you know making sure that nothing too crazy gets through but it just it gives a little more power to the people and i always like that and i think that's experiment on that scale too because that's how we'll come up with ways to instrument it in a real way okay so with no further ado and no great prelude we are going to move into Epstein Stein 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 uh, the Jeff. real life Pizzagate that is plaguing our society and may or may not be- get better and is a testament I think to the fact that we just need all women in power no men in power it's a modest proposal like Jonathan Swift saying that we should eat all Irish babies <laughs> let's just eat all the men in power and we will use the men in power to fuel the women who will be in power we will feed upon their bloated vascular flesh it's funny because when you suggest something like that people are like that's so extreme you can't have one gender in power and it's like isn't it uh what is what are the last you know like rbg said the of time what has that been looking like quoting when people ask me whether there should be nine women on the court, I say there were nine men for most of history. Yeah, I think when it was either her or Sotomayor who said someone asked them how many women will be on the court will be enough, and then she said all of yeah, them. Yeah, I think that's the same. That's <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the same kind of quote. The other thing that I do want to mention before we get too serious, and there will be no natural transition, is that I'm really troubled by the fact that Jeffrey Epstein looks to me like a more weathered self-abused sickly in the mind and spirit anthony bourdain and it fucks with me how dare you i know how dare you bring the good name of anthony bourdain into this i know it's i hate it it's terrible it's not my fault it's outsourced to the gods of genetics and it's just it it emphasizes to me every time i see him and have that inkling that all the good men die and all the bad men thrive on the blood of the good spirits that have passed. I, all the bad men thrive on the blood of women. That's good. what they. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, I, Anthony Bourdain. Ugh, may he rest in peace. What a beautiful man. I He's was convinced a I was going to marry him at some point in my life. I really was. How is it that Epstein is alive and Bourdain is not? I to me, Jeffrey Epstein looks like a lizard person. He ha- always has this weird smirk, and he has that like weird cracked mouth where you know how he's geckos? been smirking for so many years that he it's formed just, yeah it, you know when you look at a lizard just right it looks like they're smiling but yeah. kind of creepily that's to me what jeffrey epstein looks like he is a li- jeffrey epstein lizard right. person that's who that's what he is you're not wrong so a quick content warning before we get into this obviously there's going to be a lot of talk of sexual abuse of minors in this episode so yes. if that's if that's something you don't want to listen to this would be a time to tune skip. out i just want to let you guys know obviously that's it's the subject matter is what it is but we just want to let you the know the world we live in unfortunately so, <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, the man, the myth, Well, the should we, before the timeline, just add that when he was 21, he was a teacher for the Dalton Academy. Which was ran by William operated. Barr's father. Who, ironically, named Donald. Yeah, what is So, the first moment in the timeline is 21-year-old future pedophile, maybe current pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein is a teacher. And just so you, he had dropped out of college, so he had no, and as a college dropout myself, like, whatever, no shame in that game, but he had no qualifications to be teaching math at this high school. He also had access to uh, access to kids as young as 10, so... Wonder how that panned out. They basically, there were varying reports of, some people said that thought he was creepy, some people didn't remember him at all, like, he, he just seemed like kind of this, like, 
ghost figure and this probably school. he was feeling his oats there. He's Ugh. trying to <laughs> I was I'm trying gonna... to think of the least offensive like colloquialism. I'm gonna to be use. shivering oats this whole episode. The most innocent. I don't so, know. So um after he taught at Dalton Academy, he went on to work on Wall Street, made it big there, and then during the nineteen eighties and nineties started kind of becoming this philanthropist and this you know I wouldn't ascribe mover and shaker and he was he was you know brushing shoulders with the rich and powerful and brushing was the rich and powerful with other people oh god it's so disgusting so notable that I did not even realize in 1992 Jeffrey Epstein attended a party at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump and 28 women this is the year that I was born Hopefully I was born under this star. So he attended a party with Donald Trump and 28 women. Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump were the only men there. It was supposed to be a quote-unquote private pageant, which makes me want to vom. And then... so Before two lecherous little oafs? Even back then. So just, just so we're clear. People have known that Jeffrey Epstein is a creep. Since before I was born. Don't listen to anyone who says they had no idea what was going on. No. Because the party planner of this event at Mar-a-Lago, this is a quote, he said, look, Donald, I know Jeff really well. I can't have him going after younger girls, he told the Times. Trump said, look, I'm putting my name on this. I wouldn't want to put my name on it and have a scandal. So even then... People knew that he was into younger women, a.k.a. girls, <laughs> and Trump Trump knew. I mean, Trump was warned. So this is absolutely... I mm. mean, the best case scenario is that Trump turned a blind eye. We'll get into later that he probably was involved and... He was definitely accused of this sexual will assault inform, of a young girl. Yeah, this will inform his attitude and has informed his attitude towards Epstein and potentially have the silver lining of him not being so willing to cover it up now in his executive position because it really does directly implicate him in a number of ways there are so many people implicated in this these are powerful people this is why we were kind of joking about pizza gate because it genuinely is it's surreal it's an elitist sex abuse ring it's a pedophilic sex ring that is filled with people who control everything. On and both sides of the aisle. On both sides of the aisle. Every this is level not a partisan issue. This is... Over this decades is a, and decades. I, I guess we'll just say now that, spoiler alert, this guy was labeled a sex offender on a very, very minor scale as time went on in one plea deal. And as recently as 2011, Cy Vance, Cyrus Vance, who was... Um, the new- Manhattan DA... Yeah, this is the prosecutor in this scenario, argued for Epstein's sex offender registry level to be a level one, which is the instead lowest, of a level three. Yeah, for a an accused and convicted through the plea plea deal, child sex trafficker to have the lowest level, which is applied to like public urination, yeah, sexting things like that. And the judge in that case said that she was shocked because she'd yes. never heard a prosecutor argue the for prosecutor. a lesser, not a sentence, but lesser registration. Yeah. Um, and Cy Vance also, Cy Vance also protected Harvey Weinstein. The, the guy's some, shady. Uh, yeah. Speaking of men in power all being corrupt and edible, we should eat them all and take over their positions. I think that is the normal succession of power. Back to the timeline. So, 1992 attends a party with Donald Trump. Donald Trump definitely knew about his proclivities at that point because he was warned about it. Maybe shared them, maybe partook, whatever. Who knows? There is, yeah, we're going to get to a lot, folks. All throughout the 90s, he is expanding his circle of influence. If people wanted to be friends with Jeffrey Epstein, he was a powerful guy. I do. I certainly do. Right now, I'm too old for any foul play, so. You're about... Seven years too old for Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I'm like, I'm over 10 years too old. Oh, gosh. So in 1999, he allegedly forced an underage Mar-a-Lago worker to have sex with Prince Andrew and lawyer Alan Dershowitz. What? Yep. Dershowitz is foul? I'm shocked. So in, in 2015, Virginia Roberts said in a sworn affidavit that one of the recruiters initially approached her while she was working at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, that's and- recent. 2015, you said? Yeah, that, that's what she, that's when she came forward, it was 2015, and offered to bri- provide her with massage training, which is a tactic he used on a lot of oh, girls. Oh, he loved the massages. Very also, innocent tactic. she was then brought to Epstein's Palm Beach mansion, where she had said Epstein abused her beginning in 1999, when she was 15 years old. She said the abuse continued for several years, during which she says 
she was passed around to other famous men. 2002, he allegedly raped a New York City high school student at his mansion. In 2019, Jennifer, I believe it's Oraz, said she was approached at age 14 by a young woman outside her high school in 2001. A rose. A rose. A rose. Okay. Jennifer arose in 2001 and brought to Epstein's enormous townhouse for the first time. There, he would abuse her and pay her money over the following year. Oh, this... So, I, I heard the interview with her. She said that a recruiter who is, like... She said she was very similar to me. So, I don't know what that means, particularly, but I can only assume that they handpicked her to be similar, whether it be looks-wise, background-wise, mm-hmm. whatever would meet her outside her high school in New York City and that he started massaging her when she was 14 in his massage room um, and would leave $300 in the drawer of the massage room every time they would have an interaction. Then when she turned 15, you know, became a woman, obviously, that's when he first started saying, you know, take off your underwear. She said no and Thus, the forcible rape happened. Yeah, it culminated in what she describes as a forcible rape. It's a characterization that we have to make now, and yeah. I guess she she knows to make it, but how vile that we have to... The inverse is when you're unconscious, when you're too drunk to consent, when you are drugged, yeah. things like that. That's not forcible because we don't have to force... Or, like, and a lot of times people will distinguish between statutory rape and forcible rape, which is horrifying, Wait, but So that's... there's kind of a middle ground there. Like, forcible is... It's classified by things like violence mm-hmm. or, you know, physical exertion against somebody. But and if you drug somebody or if they're underage, that doesn't have to come into play. But there is a middle ground that it's... Yeah. But it's not forcible rape. Morally, it shouldn't be seen as different. Legally, it is. And that's just it's, and it is it's, what it is. It's a remarkable gray area that people yeah. capitalize upon to be vile. Anyways. So uh, in 2002, keep in mind this is at least 10 years after Donald Trump was at least warned about Epstein. He said... I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. Jeff! He's yeah. a lot of fun to be with. It's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. Do you remember that interview where he's talking to somebody and he goes, well, she's got her mother's whatever. We'll, we'll s- wait to see if she has her mother's... Was that Tiffany? ...gesturing at breast. No, I think it was Ivanka. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that I remember that interview, and then he also said that, he also said that if Ivanka wasn't his daughter, he'd probably date her. Mm. And then what they shared was sex drive. Somebody asked, like, what is the trait that the two of you... I'm guessing Howard Stern asked that question. What's the trait you two share? And he's like, ah, sex drive. Yeah, who the... And she was there. Sex with their father. How would he even know that? Why would he know that? Why would would he he say that? I I mean, I cringe to think... My dad would sooner die than say those words. It's probably why he did die. (laughs) He's like, you are becoming a sexual being. I'm just... Gonna vacate this earth. I'm just gonna uh, peace out. Bye. <laughs> so again, if Donald Trump, who just recently said I wasn't a fan of Epstein, ever says that he did not know that Epstein was a predator, then his own words refute that. It's so much harder to lie. Not that it'll matter, but now we have his own I, words to refute. When I he wish. Says that. I wish I had convincing evidence that that would be the final word that his own word would be the final word but we know well enough that he can say things and then double back with the record in front of him and it stick so in 2005 we're getting really close to the plea deal so i'll just in 2005 a 14 year old went to her parents and told them that she had been sexually abused by epstein and he was reported to the police so in may 2006 he was charged with multiple counts of unlawful sex acts with a minor do we know how many a grand jury heard from just two of the dozen-plus girls law enforcement okay. gathered as witnesses. So a dozen-plus, that's significant. The Miami Herald reported that um, the the grand jury returned an indictment of one count of soliciting prostitution. Now... Which could mean solicitation of however many people. Yeah, exactly. But this is... My real problem with this is that... Prostitution. Underage women can... Underage girls cannot be prost cannot be sex workers in any kind of real sense they are people who have been sexually abused this is trafficking and money was exchanged if you are underage you cannot consent to sex work and therefore anything that happens to you is sexual abuse in my opinion so when we Uh, talk about your opinion it's fact you're right you're right people the reason why his lawyers and even in this last arrest his lawyer went to the judge and said, you may find that there were instances of soliciting prostitution. And the judge went back to him with, 
if it was soliciting prostitution of underage girls, isn't that just rape? And then he was stunned. He couldn't believe. And then he said, well, maybe statutory rape. Well, then they stammer and they say, well, I guess you're under the statute. And that gets back to the classification that we were talking about. They're trying to whitewash what he has done by putting the label prostitute on it, which... And putting statutory on the rape. Especially in America, but elsewhere as well. When we hear the word prostitute... We are trained to not care. We are trained to shut our brain off because they chose a quote-unquote risky lifestyle. And what a what a terrible mindset that we've been trained to. And that's, you know, we were talking last time about yeah. breaking these instincts that we have. Sex workers are just as respectable as any of us. I, I am close friends with sex workers. It's a better, as a woman in America, we are not guaranteed a good income anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to make money. And honestly, it's a safe way to avoid sex crimes for people who are sick and because if they have a viable alternative that is you know theoretically legal if we were to make that legal Mm -hmm. like a legal alternative a willing participant yeah and something that can be gained for both sides there's very little downside except that it's unregulated and thus it should be legal and regulated. Yeah. The, the problem with the way that we view sex work is that it's almost always... We don't demonize the men. And it's honestly like work, working in sex work does not make you any less worthy of human dignity. It doesn't... It does not decrease your worth as a person. But we've been trained to think of it that way as please do not have a history of not pursuing yeah. crimes against sex workers because they're considered the less dead. So as soon as you put the word prostitute anywhere in the description... And it's unilateral because certainly if Epstein as the other party in that transaction were to end up dead then, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's who matters know? to our society. Jeffrey Epstein matters more... Yep. In some people's eyes and these girls because, well, they accepted money, so As they children. deserved it. Both legally and I would argue morally, they do not have the ability to understand the weight of what's going on. And they're oftentimes being coerced. They're oftentimes being manipulated. And so until you turn 18, in my eyes, it's it's sexual abuse that, has, that involves the and exchange of money. And let's be real. Like, at 18, I certainly was in no position to be consenting to sex with an adult man and i'm not saying legally but if you're talking about rationality not someone who's 20 years or senior yeah. at 18 i would argue that it's different case by case but and i think the older you get the more acceptable it gets and and you can make case by yeah. case analyses but people who are young they people who are like ba- essentially still in high school yeah when they are teenagers i think I mean, we know biologically there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. Your brain isn't done developing until you're like 21. The rhetoric around this, which is that these girls were quote-unquote underage women or younger women who accepted money in exchange for sex, is it's, it's a fabrication that only helps predators like Epstein. When you stop caring about sex workers, you're only helping people who abuse sex yeah, workers. Absolutely. Okay. This brings us nicely to the terms of the infamous plea deal. That which was orchestrated by Alexander ex, Acosta, ex labor secretary, secretary yeah, Alex Acosta was instrumental in negotiating, and we'll also get to who else was involved in that because this guy had a bevy of lawyers. He had, I believe, thirty lawyers working on his behalf. Epstein did in Florida. This is in Florida that people got wise first to this, like upwards of a dozen women who had been either abused, molested, raped, et cetera, et cetera. The Miami Herald tracked down on um, about Julie Brown. 80 women. Julie Brown from the Miami Herald. Yeah, excellent work, excellent investigative reporting. She tracked down 80 women who had who said that they were abused by Epstein 80. at some point in the, between 2001 and 2006. So this isn't even people Five who... Five years span, 80 women. 80 women. This, is, this isn't even people who were around in the 90s. That is We're not accounting for years. those ones that yeah. inevitably existed. Yeah. And definitely want to credit the work of women reporters just being relentless and staying on this story because there were plenty of forces working against her and working against a lot of other female reporters. And there are plenty of people who didn't, want this story to get out so yes. the fact that that it it did get out and the fact that it was done so well is honestly and she's hounded she it moved, for years yeah she moved yeah. mountains for that so so the terms of this deal and alex acosta has since defended it in his brief window of trying to defend it while still retaining his position and this is in 2007 that the yeah. plea deal was floated he has said well i had to agree to all these things because i wanted to make sure that he actually faced prison time because there was First, local prosecutors got a hold of it, local mm-hmm. law enforcement. 
And then it came to the attention of federal people in the Southern District of Florida, which is the federal court versus the state court. The plea deal involved a guilty plea to the state charges of sex trafficking for mm-hmm. prostitution, yeah. quote-unquote prostitution. I don't even like that that's the legal name that we ascribe yeah. to it because it's like, I don't know, there should be a heightened level if we're talking about not two consenting adults Yeah, no, but making a transaction that the law doesn't like. It's solicitation prostitution from a minor but there is no it's that inherently no, changes the character yeah, I, yeah I, so i don't i don't like that but in any event that's what he he pleaded to so he served 13 months behind bars many of those days he had 16 hours a day free to work hang release. out at home so that's not even work that's release. not even prison it's yeah. not prison i mean it, it's not so he was allowed to go frolic about in his home office where i'm you know it's feet away from his massage room i'm sure another question is like if acosta wanted to avoid him not going to prison go to trial yeah if you don't think that you can get a good enough plea deal if it's if that is in the balance go to trial in any event um, i mean it was a sweetheart deal that was orchestrated mm -hmm. in my opinion because epstein is a rich powerful man absolutely and he had plenty of people working in his favor um including alan dershowitz yeah didn't he we'll help get with the original? To a, yes, yeah. he did. We'll get to a, the list of people. The investigators and U.S. attorney agreed not to contact any identified individuals, potential witnesses, or civil claimants. So, so the victims did not know this was happening. They got restitution in some form, but they didn't get informed, which in the wake of this, as people are trying to say that this deal isn't binding, there are a lot of grounds for that, but people are saying that it violates the Federal Crime Victims' Rights Act because Mm -hmm. that requires that crime victims, you know, be respected. There are a number of terms, but be respected, be apprised of public goings-on, be apprised of the terms of certain things. And so it might actually be against federal law, this thing that was negotiated under federal law, especially if you think of, okay, we have 80 people Mm -hmm. who have accused him and certainly upwards of a dozen actual... Char- yeah, uh, yeah, of the people who talked to Individuals. police. Yeah. So this the those were done retroactively. So the Miami Herald retroactively found other women at the time. I think it was a dozen or so that had gone to police. Okay. So it, uh, police I mean, found. this isn't the kind of case where you have one person who's going to be like terribly traumatized by knowing anything about the goings on in yeah. this case. So to justify why you would not tell the victims and the people who were affected by the sweetheart deal. It's very touchy. And then the last thing that is worth touching on about the questionability of the deal is that the the prosecutors met with defense attorneys at a hotel for breakfast. And yeah. it was just a one-on-one meeting. And talk to anybody in any prosecutorial office, especially if it's a state or federal government office, you do not meet one-on-one with the opposing counsel in a private way it's not it's ethically wrong but it's not quite it's arguably not quite legally wrong okay but it's inappropriate behavior it's certainly inappropriate and it raises questions of preferential treatment especially when the victims ultimately were not told i think that question is answered other attorneys the attorneys who are working the case if they're underlings they don't know that's that's very strange and a lot of people who work comparable positions are like i have never and would never do something like that especially out of working hours, out of office, how do you justify that except to say, like, let's uh, let's see what we can do. In July of 2009, Jeffrey Epstein was released from jail five months earlier than the sentence he got. The, oh, boy. How do you finagle that? He was allowed to serve his 18-month jail sentence in a private wing of the Palm Beach County Stockade where he hired his own security detail and was allowed to go to work six days a week, as he said before, up to 12 hours per, per day. So he... Working. It was, club, it was club med. It was the club med of prison. It's probably better conditions than I live right now. Also, not only did he get different treatment before he went to prison, but then in prison, he had it so soft. This was uh, this isn't even punishment. What is this? Like, it's insane. Soft. I don't like that. So, in 2011, he was told to register as a sex offender in New York City. He moved back here, I guess, at yeah. that point. That's when he got his uh, luxurious townhouse. And one his thing... Manhattan mansion with heated sidewalks. One thing I want to say about that, and it's a total tangent, but... There was an article in New York Magazine that was like, oh, the decorations in his New York townhouse were horrifying, and I kind of liked them. I mean... I mean, we both have really dark senses of... I know. Also, it's different in the home of a 20-something art-aware 
woman than yeah. it is. Like, he had a wall of eyeballs, and each eyeball was framed, and he had a chandelier made of dolls. You come into Brooks or my house, and that's like, oh, kind of funky. You're, I mean, in my apartment. You're a neat gal. <laughs> we have a giant anarchist flag on the wall. I have a lot of body parts on my walls. I have I so have many body parts. I have a skull in my room that has been with me every move, and I love him. He's great, and he's just in my room. I have plaster noses on my wall. My dad made big blow-up three foot by three foot heads of some guy's face that he found in the copier at Kinko's. Don't even know who that is. So that's kind of fucked up. I guess it's weird, but you know. Everything Jeffrey Epstein touches becomes creepier because he's a lizard person, as I've said before, and so he just ruins everything that he's around. And here was the crown jewel on on the townhouse roost. It was a like six foot mural that he had commissioned of himself in a prison yard. And he said to the commissioner, oh my God. or the person whom he commissioned, he said, this has been me before, and it'll be me again. In practice, as I've said before mind. about, you know, chemical castration and, and, and the worst like, of our society being treated differently, um, and this one moment right now, even See? though those are the beliefs I still hold very deeply the government shouldn't at do a it, practical level, like, somebody should do it. Uh, right now, all I think I can think about is, like, what a dirtbag human being. them off. What a waste of space. Like, what a waste of skin and flesh Anthony and Bourdain blood. is dead and he's alive. Anthony, we should, you know what? We'll trade. Can we We'll we trade please? Jeffrey Epstein for Anthony Bourdain the any day cruel. of the week. There is no God. God is dead and this is proof. Really quick. Sure. So he, in 2011, he was told to register as a sex offender in New York City. In a quote to the New York Post, he said... I'm not a predator. I'm a quote-unquote offender. That's the difference between a murderer and somebody who robs a bodega. Or it was it was like it was either rob a bodega or like steals like bread or something like that. But he compared. It's a bold tactic to take, and it all it also admits to the underlying thing, right? That he's a quote-unquote offender. Yeah, because it's not questioning his offender classification. His offender classification depends only on the fact that people are willing to classify him so low. I mean, if you're, you know, when you're a sociopath, I don't think it matters to you. Yeah, you're um, just working on rhetoric, but he's not even good at that. So Letitia James has openly questioned... The, the, sorry, the New York AG. Yes, Cyrus Vance's decision as prosecutor to advocate for him getting a lower sex offender classification. It's worth noting that with the whole, like, state and federal interplay... Given that this new case is in the Southern District of New York, which is a federal court, and the the Florida plea deal was a federal plea deal, even though it involved pleading guilty to state charges, and that'll come into play a little bit with the enforceability, but the federal law against sex trafficking is the only one that has a statute of limitations that would allow for current charges. Right. And so sex crimes in general, particularly rape and related things... Certainly prostitution is like a lower tier offense. State courts don't tend to protect it on the same level. Yeah. So if you, a lot of states have like five years, seven years. If it has been more than X years since the alleged incident, you can't bring a charge criminally or civilly. The okay. The clock has, has expired. And granted, Jeffrey Epstein seems to be prolific over a long span of time so i'm sure people exist in the recent past and that would not be a problem in practice but thinking of coming forward and what that has and will entail for women against the powerhouse that is epstein i think that you need we live in a different world than we did in 2008 when he was given this deal after the me too movement and just in general i think our society is getting tired of of powerful men being able to do whatever they want and get away with it a lot of us are everyone in this room is for sure um We don't even know. I mean, Bill Clinton went on, I think, up to six trips on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. I'll double check Everybody that. Everybody who's but anybody who is an old white man seems I mean, to have brushed shoulders. I was reading this other New York limbs. Times piece about how he rehabilitated his image after prison. And everyone knew about this. And he was still having meals with famous people. He was still thro- throwing events and stuff where really, really big names would show up still, even after we they knew care. that he was a sex offender. Because they fundamentally do not care we still don't care and i will put money on it i'm hoping my tears on the pile of money what is so crazy is that i I was talking to my roommate about this but i think that this has been in the 
this has been public knowledge for a long time since at least 2008 but even before that we saw people around him knew that he was this kind of person even earlier on at least since the 90s i mean r kelly bill cosby him and it's i think what trump i honestly think that people knew he was running this ring of powerful people who had access to very young girls people knew he had he had he was attracted to young young girls people knew that he was and a predator acting on that attraction and it's crazy to me that we're just now talking about it we're just now it's just not being discussed on a, on a wide level and i think part of that is that i mean you know misogyny general misogyny aside i think part of that is that the implications of a man supplying the most powerful people in the world with underage girls for sex is such a dark thing to think about and the the implications are so far-reaching that the public just shut it out of their like the mm. public you know the, the collective unconscious just sort of shut it down and That's wouldn't even wouldn't even look at it i think that people there are obviously there is the well powerful men just do that mentality but on top of that i think that the thought of like a pizza gate a real pizza gate almost they just don't want to think about it they don't want to think about their beloved leaders and these powerful Maybe. people being so morally corrupt that they would do this and so they just shut it out of their minds they just they won't look at it they won't look at it in the I face i guess there's an element of that especially when it's bipartisan i i wish i felt like it were that disqualifying i think the thing that makes it disqualifying is the conspiratorial large-scale aspect but when you come down to the actual crime that's being committed i i don't think that it matters that much to us and this was an irony that came up for me in the pizzagate thing too that these are conservatives these are trump advocates who somehow now in the midst of their sexism in the midst of their oftentimes anti-child anti-woman rhetoric are pretending that this is abominable enough to justify large-scale violence when you're advocating for small-scale violence that ramped up to this well, I guess compounds. about who's doing it. I think that's why the bipartisan yeah. thing really matters is because right. so often we choose to care when the people involved are already abhorrent to us. Yeah. So, and it's very easy it's to lean sides, into that. Yeah. And it was so funny because as soon as I heard that he was arrested for, for new charges by the Southern District of New York, I... The first thought was, I wonder how his hardcore supporters, because obviously, like, pe- a lot of people are just going to ignore that that he has a connection to them, him at all, and they're not going to talk about it because they don't care. But how are his hardcore supporters going to defend this? What are they going to come up with? I think Trump is a good crash course, and yeah, you just kind of ignore it. And it's easy enough looking at the track record of media and everybody else yeah. that like it's pretty easy to ignore it well, with Epstein. That same day. I was seeing people on Twitter say, well, you know, he kicked Epstein out of his out of Mar-a-Lago in you know the early 2000s because he propositioned a, a young girl. So he, when he found out about it, like he he Trump they had a falling never, out. And never. It's like, in the early 90s, he knew about it. In the early 90s, he was saying that Jeffrey Epstein was attracted to younger oh, and, women. And this is a great transition to saying that they are co-defendants in a mm. case by a 13 year old. Um, then 13 years old. Then 13 year old. 2016, the complaint arose, and Jane Doe, as she's named rightfully, was beaten down horrifically by Trump's lawyers, but they were named in raping her together at one of Epstein's parties, I think, on his Mm -hmm. island. Was it his island? Private island, yeah. He's a fucking island. We have records that Trump went to dinner parties. I was reading this one New Yorker. It was basically like the social papers of the New Yorker at the time. And they said that it was like a, you know, who, where, what of a dinner party. And it was, you know, where, who was throwing it? Jeffrey Epstein. Who was there? Donald Trump, uh, one of the co-founders of Google, like other other (laughs) powerful men. I was also, so there was this Vanity Fair writer, and I forget her name, and and I'll I'll have to look it up. But um, she was tweeting about how in 2000, she wrote a piece about Jeffrey Epstein, a a feature, and at the time, she was looking into his business practices, and some of it seemed... <laughs> That's the least of our worries, yeah, girl. You some, have no idea. Some of it just seemed off, so she called him to ask him about some of the business practices, and he didn't want to talk about that. And then he said, what do you know about the girls? And she had, Good in fact, grief. heard from two young girls and one of their mo- mothers. Like, there were reports coming out um, that 
or she she had them on background or something um, that that he was sexually abusing young girls and she put it in her piece and when the piece came out he was bumbling open secret he was so secure in the idea that he was safe that he openly talked about he knew when to offer to pay he openly talked about it with a reporter that's how that's how much he knew he was safe Mm -hmm. that's how unbothered by this all he was so when her piece came out none of the stuff about the girls was in it and so she went to her editor at the time who was Graydon Carter and she says that she asked why it was removed and he said he's sensitive about the young women so if that's true not only was he being protected by people in law enforcement by prosecutors by other people like that but at the time, he was also being protected by the media, which yeah, is count insane. The and it's this uh, this fact that rich, powerful men who know rich, powerful men are so isolated from consequence of yes. any kind. And this is just what we're seeing here. In like a, <laughs> I told Ethan, I told Ethan, modest proposal, gonna eat you guys. And I said, he will not be the first to go. And you know what? I'll accept applications. If you're a chill dude and you can prove it, you may apply to us, and we will eat you incrementally in a way that is survivable. We'll just, like, feast on little swatches of your flesh. That's or, fine. you know what? I think that I think that some men should be exempt. Right. I call so me, I told Ethan, I love you. Call me a conservative. You middle-of-the-road bitch. Me? I'm such a <laughs> centrist. I just believe that some men should be exempt from being eaten. I just want to invoke Jonathan Swift's subtitle in A Modest Proposal, which is... In which he proposed boiling the Irish babies so that they don't reproduce as quickly. A modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people in Ireland from being a burden to their parents or country and making them beneficial to the public. I would say that applies to the men who I will eat. But you, you do know that E. Jean Carroll, who she recently accused Donald Trump of, of a rape. Yeah, did um, you guys hear about this? Is we this, talked about some podcasts, so you better have heard about it. Her book is called Why Do We Need Men? A Modest Proposal. Did you know oh. that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I yeah. actually didn't. There you, it is. you and E. Jean Carroll will be on you the know, board. And you know, I, I'm not crazy. I'm modest. I will exempt my husband. And if you'd like to apply, I'll exempt my cousins, my taking uncles. taking applications now for the, yeah. for the good ones. Let me know if you want me to just like eat little skin grafts. Ugh. Just as no, a symbolic disgusting. thing. No? No? Okay. I don't, like, I don't like the idea of eating skin. Fine. All right. Brooke has standards. Personally, I need like. You're crazy. I can't be close to the violence a part of it. I don't want any kind of skin. No, thank you. Okay. Uh, so, anyway. um huge leap but not so much from what you were originally talking about about connections and and who's connected to whom so it's worth going through who was involved in epstein's original team and kind of current team and on the sidelines team that we're not citing as actual involved parties so a lot of people from the firm of kirkland and ellis which is a big law firm that spans a lot of states represented Epstein in his prior case and spoiler alert William Barr practiced for them so we got Jay Lefkowitz who is now a teacher at Columbia Law School which is interesting because Elizabeth Letterer who is a prosecutor Mm -hmm. in the Central Park 5 case was recently like publicly shamed out of her lecturer position at Columbia Law School so we'll see where that goes Mm. former labor secretary Acosta by Roy Black, who represented the young Kennedy nephew when he was accused of rape. In my understanding, in, like, relatively credible circumstances, I want to say 80s or 90s, mm. it was post-Ted Kennedy, but the most recent scandal, I think, of the the Kennedy line. You know what? The Kennedys are definitely on my list of gotta go. Yeah. I don't like any of I don't like the Kennedys anymore. I like Bobby, but he's dead. He's dead. And his his namesake is not also not doing so well with the vaccination. Yeah, RFK Jr. is like super anti-vax. How did that Why? happen? How did that happen? Anyway. Well, his own siblings have disavowed him, so I don't want to reciprocally disavow the whole line. But we all, I'm I'm so tired of the Kennedys at this point. Shoo shoo. Be be gone. All right, with you. all right. Now I'm I'm taking the centrist line. I don't hate all the Kennedys. Not all Kennedys. <laughs> not all Kennedys. Okay, so sorry. Ro- so, Roy okay, Black. so we got Roy Black. He represented the Kennedy and also Rush Limbaugh and Kelsey Grammer, who are both just perennial sexist creeps who needed a friend, as did Epstein. 
as did Alan Dershowitz, who has represented Patty Hearst, which honestly probably the best of his endeavors because she was the one who she was kidnapped, created yeah. Stockholm Syndrome because she was the daughter of William Randolph Hearst, right. the mogul, newspaper mogul, media mogul. She fell in with her kidnappers after being kidnapped. They Maybe were they were making some good points. I don't know. And terrorists who won her over. Maybe they had some sick ideas. Alan Dershowitz apparently thought so because that's the only time he sided with a woman in any of these respective conflicts that he's gotten involved in. Well, she had a powerful male father, so. Ah, uh, yes. That would be the connection. He loves OJ as well. A history of working to discredit accusers, and he pressured state authorities to drop the case against Epstein, pressured the accusers themselves, and crazy coincidence, he was accused of rape too, as Brooke was saying earlier. So he said he would do the plea deal again. So, so stop having him on CNN is what we're saying, you yeah, freaking creeps. Before and separate from this, like separate and apart from this whole issue and his dubious track record with women, I I seem to remember a couple of years ago him like defending torture and murder of terrorists if we have enough like facial reason to think, oh, they're probably bad. And he's that was another terrible. CNN equivalent post. So just he's rotting already in his flesh. Just toss him uh ken Starr of lewinsky fame another famous man who has made his name on hating women and double standards Mm. because he came out in the wake of the Mueller investigation to say that he thought that this was too excessive whereas he published his entire report which Mueller did not do to national publications with lurid details of like a 21 year old sex life Mm -hmm. so we got the who's who of shitty, double standard, misogynist men. And then that brings us to the Epstein-Barr virus, which is, first, the cause of mononucleosis, and second, the cause of our nation's sexually an, transmitted illness. Is that That's an STD? Epstein-Barr is uh, oral, but it is the cause of mono. So Epstein Barr, a.k.a. Jeffrey Epstein and William Barr. Yeah. It's good, right? But also there is a... The, the Epstein-Barr virus causes but the mono. The reason you get mono is it's called the Epstein-Barr virus. Couldn't make this stuff up. I am... um Wow. So we already talked about how William Barr's father, Donnie... Donald Barr. Donnie B. Owned the school that Epstein taught at as a blooming young pedophile. As an unqualified... 21 year old mm, indeed so connections are really weird i would not be surprised if this really is like this goes a lot further than we what we already know and if prosecutors in this case take you know a harder a harder stance and that he's held to some kind of justice uh, honestly i would not be surprised if he gets another sweetheart deal but i'm hoping that in 2019 being a rich powerful man is a little less isn't the be all end all? Yeah, exactly. Did you hear that his lawyers were arguing that if he weren't given bail, that would be an anti-rich discrimination thing? Oh my gosh! Because it's not his fault. It's Don't not discriminate fault against the can, rich. It's not his fault that he could literally get on a private jet tomorrow and fly to a private island and just Poor stay there. Man. The one last thing that is worth mentioning is that Barr himself has not recused himself he did recuse himself from a related matter with because he had affiliations with kirkland and ellis i think he recused himself from anything to do with the florida deal which obviously both sides are very polarized they're saying the florida prosecutors are saying that it's only binding on the florida federal office prosecutors and the inverse is being offered by his defense team. The fact that Barr has recused himself from some of it for one re- for the same reason that would apply to all the other potential recusals but is not fully is yeah strange. I don't know why he did. I that. don't. I know that like the Department of Justice is going to investigate the plea deal. Hopefully, it will involve this, and hopefully, Trump himself will be too close to actual indictment. Yeah. That he will not be eager to, like, fall in line behind his people, as he well, almost was with Acosta, but then kind of shook he at the last minute. If pardon him, even his, like, because his supporters I don't think he would do are, that. I don't think he would either, because his supporters right now think of this as more damaging to Bill Clinton than Donald Trump. If right. he pardoned him, it'd almost be like Picking a... And choosing. 
Yeah, it would almost it would be, be damning. It would be damning very damning him. for him, cutting too many corners. But Barr himself, certainly, the image of it, I think, is a lot worse than the actual import because Barr, as AG, does not have a lot of de facto involvement. He has de jure yeah. involvement because technically he's the SDNY attorney's bosses. But were he to reach down and actively say to an entire office in the state of New York that they shouldn't charge him or they shouldn't proceed or they should offer him a deal that would be such a big deal that i hope i knock on wood that it it wouldn't happen there's no way that would happen yeah especially i honestly don't think that bar has control. a lot of skin in this i know that he has got connections but i think I he has genuinely skin in practically like de facto and that that's what the only thing that bothers me is that the imagery is so bad and the fact that the imagery is so bad hurts a lot more in terms of normalizing mm-hmm. and what the import of raping many young women over decades on decades yeah. means. Yeah. It just doesn't mean enough to justify, like, recusing yourself and staying out of it at all costs. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. I don't know, guys. Okay, well, we, we got we to gotta head out of here. Um, duck out. We got to um, duck out. But uh, basically, the, you know, don't let old Greek ladies spit on you. Don't touch um, kids. Don't be a creep or a lizard person. Eat your local rapist if you can. If you, you know, Kenzie's going to be leading that movement. So, as always, if you like us, we appreciate rates reviews and, and subscriptions every time i say that i want to punch myself in the face but please do don't punch brooke don't let brooke punch brooke. i'm not gonna punch brooke you can dm i'm brooke angeline on instagram i'm bke rogers on twitter kenzie do you want to throw your i am mkzj brennan on instagram and i am get me number two a nunnery on twitter because i need to be saved send her to a nunnery help me say anything S- say hi say, say hi if you have some suggestions if you have questions that you want answered on the podcast um if you have topic ideas whatever you want like just you know send us i've already gotten like a, a couple really sweet dms from people who are listening and i want you to know that we every one of them we appreciate we like we are they're, receptive they're little kisses. for your input and we love each and every one and we do want to return those kisses and with that <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.